One Pills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, welcome to a Friday edition of One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. Good to have you with us. As uh, it is an OBL Friday fan mailbag, as it typically is. No matter what time of year it is, winter, spring, summer, fall, preseason, regular season, postseason, offseason, we are here to answer your most pressing questions on the Bills, the NFL, the remaining playoff games as it's conference championship weekend, whatever you got on your mind, lay it on us. Steve, I don't know about you, but weather-wise, you know, with this rain here the last two days, we're getting a lot of melt and runoff, snow melt and runoff. I had gargantuan icicles on my house that I had to take care of um, going from my second floor to my first floor. It was bad. Like, oh, yeah? Big honkers, like couldn't even wrap your two hands around. Like that's really? how thick they were. Like those fifty pounders. So I had they were more than that. So I had to go up there because from my second floor gutter down to my first floor front porch roof, it had connected. Like it went right. and connected to my roof. And when you say go up there, what do you mean like go? Oh, up I'm there? not on the roof. Yeah, so right. fortunately, I've got a bedroom window that I can. Open, and now here, here's me. The neighbors <laughs> must have loved this. Here's me, and I've got um, – what's the name for those windows? Um, Casements. Casement windows. Yeah. I have casement windows. Thank you. And so they only – you know, you crank them. And you got to crank they them, and they open. open yeah. So that only affords me so much room <laughs> to get my arm out with my shovel to jab at this thing to try to pry it loose. And then I have to protect the window that I just opened. Oh, yeah. Because this. I've opened it, and so now I have to just whack at the icicle in one direction because if it goes, that shovel needs to be there to protect my window from getting shattered by a 120-pound icicle. It's just like the Mayhem commercial in, you know. Oh, yeah. I'm... In a very, very real way. <laughs> so, you know, I'm half my body's out of the window. I'm craning around the opened window. That I cracked oh, so open. It opens. You got to go it around. Open it opened towards the oh, icicle. Oh, yeah, yeah. So now yeah, I'm okay. reaching all the way around and I'm trying to. I'm, <laughs> I mean, I must have looked like a fool up there. So one of the kids in the neighborhood, he's playing in the snow. He's got a snow day, you know, no school last week. He pulls his phone out. And starts he's like, hey, what, what are you doing? I said, I got to get this icicle off my gutter because it's a little corner gutter and yeah, you got yeah. a 120 yeah, pound yeah. thing hanging. So I'm just trying to protect, you know, the integrity yeah. of my roof. So I'm, I'm whacking at this thing. And finally, it goes, and fortunately, you know, timber onto my okay. porch roof below. But I don't want to just sit in there because now I'm worried it's going to slide off and eventually, right. and, you know, God forbid, hit somebody. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's in my front landscaping. It's not going to. So I was, I'm able to kind of reach it and pull it down because I have a roof rake. I could have gone outside and tried yeah, to pull it off with the roof rake. The trip and, but yeah. what a deal that was. And then I had two more on the backside of my house. Which were easier to get to, fortunately. Dude, but you got to insulate your roof. Well, I I did. That's the thing, and I was like, "Is it just because it's? Do I have to oh, redo melting. this? Everything's melting on the well, outside. Well, no, it wasn't and even the melt freezes at night. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what was going on, but yeah, I looked yeah. around the neighborhood. Everybody had the same problem. Yeah. So I was like, "All right, it's not. It's probably not my insulation. Um, we just right. had a rapid temperature drop. Right, and that's what does it too. I same with me. I they're all gone now, me, thankfully. 
my, I don't have any of that icicle stuff going on, but what I do have is I have water management problems because I live on – my house is like a, a, a one-story with a walkout basement because we're on the side of a hill. Oh, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So the water all runs to the back. And I got a pond back there, which everything in the property runs to this pond. But I don't want it running towards my house and then to the pond. Yeah, right? never so, at your house. Right. So I'm out there with a shovel. And, you know, I've got, I've got streams running down along my, you know, around my house and stuff. So I keep, a, I keep the water. Listen, when I built the house, I knew. So I've got all kinds of stuff built into the house to keep it from getting wet. And it never gets wet. It's bone dry. But, yeah. I, anything you can to channel yeah. it away. Yeah. So I'm out digging. Moats? I'm, I'm ditch digging, basically. <laughs> I'm digging a moat. I've reached the pinnacle of success <laughs> where I'm so rich I can dig ditches. <laughs> <laughs> with a shovel, not even a back. It's just a shovel. So I'm out there. That's I'm yeah, totally, totally glamorous and successful life. Right. I yeah, I was out there with the roof rake. You know, when we got all that snow a little over a week ago, it's you got to get it off of there, especially if you don't have a you got a low pitched roof. Let me just say something. I'm still of the mind. I'm still six years old. If I see a nice sickle, I'm trying. Whacking it, whacking it, and then waving it around. Those things were nothing to joke about. I know some of them. You get they're they're really big. I've had some of those incidents where you you knock those off, and they're they literally weigh a hundred pounds. They're huge. Oh, when it hit the ground, yeah. Like I finally scraped it off my roof from up above, not below. You can hear it, and it's just like like it hit the ground, and my wife, (laughs) what was that? (laughs) Just getting the icicles off the roof, honey. That way, and, I, and Buffalo, Western New Yorkers. We're not talking to you, but everybody who lives here knows it. It's not that like the snowstorms over the those. That's yeah. not what. Hey, Been there, done. We that. don't care though. Hey, it's great, man. It's right. We'll, we'll get a day off work, stay home, pop some popcorn, whatever. Go out and play in it. Go snowshoeing on it. This is the weather that makes you want to leave town. Yeah. Get me out. Right. I do rain know, in thirty-eight. Yeah. yeah Forty-one. Pouring rain and it's melting snow like like yeah I so I when I drive home this is the weather that when I drive home on the ninety I always pass over all those creeks in West Seneca oh yeah they already got they're, ice jams in there they're raging too ice I mean, jams just, oh my gosh it's just a mess this is yes I I think I think the locals would back me up on I'm not a, I I consider myself a local but I'm you know I moved here when I was twenty six you've you've put your time in right more than half your life here exactly so I I think the locals back me this is the kind of weather that makes buffalo ugh, hard to take it's not it's not the snow it's this yeah, yeah. this is yeah and it's the worst time of year oh to have a dog oh yeah you may as well Which have we a, both do you, you almost yes you almost have to have in your house either a mud room right a room where you can put the, or just a flat out dog wash yeah. you gotta have a tiled corner in your thing with a drain and a hose and <laughs> Holds off the dog every time. <laughs> it's it's a crusher, yeah, man. It's chaos. It's absolute yeah. chaos. And now I've got to go out in my backyard and pick everything up that's shown up after the runoff of the melt. Right. Because you didn't know where it was for two weeks, and now it's just like, oh, yeah. And I got to go out there with the big plastic bag. Exactly. And just take care of stuff. Exactly. Um, enough about that. We got to go around the NFL because uh, the the coaching positions are filling up quickly. And we want to bring you up to speed around the NFL, presented by Kaleida Health, the official healthcare system of the Buffalo Bills. And we begin first with the Bills-related news. 
ESPN's Jeremy Fowler is reporting that interim OC Joe Brady has interviewed with Sean McDermott for the job on a permanent basis, but he is not the only candidate. Fowler is also reporting that Tampa Bay quarterbacks coach Thad Lewis will interview for the job as well. If that sounds like a familiar name, it should. He is a former NFL quarterback that had a cup of coffee with the Bills as their cube backup quarterback in 2013. But he spent the last two seasons as the Bucks quarterbacks coach. Prior to that, assistant receivers coach for Tampa Bay for one season, part of the Bill Walsh coaching fellowship program, which got him his start in Tampa back in 2020. Prior he, to that, yeah. coached in the college ranks at UCLA under Chip Kelly as an offensive analyst, which is basically a quality control coaching position. Did that for two seasons but played from 2010 to 2017 in the NFL, largely as a backup quarterback, kind of bounced around on some practice squads. Stevie's got seven career starts, six with the Bills in 2013. Coming home. (laughs) Uh, He's interviewing for the job. Joe Brady did his job. Now Thad Lewis will do it. Um, Yeah, he he started in 21 as an intern for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, hung in there, and had some really good success with, with Baker Mayfield this year. Uh, quarterbacks will tell you it's nice to have a guy who played the position talking to you about how it's going out there. Um, it, it'll be interesting uh, to see how that goes. Certainly, he's gonna he's gonna move up the ranks, uh, and that's the way it is. For some of these guys, and we we have you know Dan Orlovsky. Orlovsky's not wasn't a household name before he got into the into the uh, media world. Same thing with some of these other guys. They make you know like like. Joe Brady or like uh, um, in these other offensive coordinators who grew up playing the position, you know, um, they are better communicators and coaches than they were as players even. You know what I'm saying? Um, Thad Lewis taking that that role um, because, you know, the guys that are, you know, they got to think their way through it more so and they watch guys do it and they they see coaches coach the guy – and they're sitting there trying to be coached by the same guy, putting it into practice as what they would do if they were the guy. And it really helps them in their next life as they become a coach. They, they realize all those dynamics and how it works with the guy who's actually pulling the trigger and the guy trying to get him to pull the trigger to the right guy. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot in that. And um, so a lot of ex-quarterbacks who weren't ever the guy, like you know Kub- Gary Kubiak, right? All these guys that were like – um, you know Garrett, J- Jason Garrett, uh, the guy in uh, the guy in Jacksonville. All these guys, uh, you know, they were former backup quarterbacks who know how to communicate to a guy who's actually pulling the trigger, and that's yep. just just in. That's pretty important in the NFL these days, right? I would say so. So um, Thad Lewis coming in to take a shot, at, and and you know he's obviously. Just getting into it from the Tampa Bay thing at twenty and after the twenty twenty season, coming in as an intern, basically, uh, you can see how fast these guys can come up through the ranks. Well, especially when you're coaching a guy that has a productive season, and Baker Mayfield had a very productive season. It's probably one of the reasons why David Canales was ultimately hired. Um, you know, he just uh, got named head. Co- Where the heck did he just go? Head coach uh, David Carolina. Canales. Carolina, thank you. Just became head coach of the Carolina Panthers. Um, after a very successful season, as offensive coordinator of the Bucks, went to the playoffs, won a playoff game, beat the Eagles, 
and kind of had a renaissance year for Baker Mayfield with his fourth NFL club. So it makes a difference. Don't kid yourself. Other NFL news for the Bills. Stephon Diggs is going to go to the Pro Bowl. He will replace Amari Cooper, who is out with an injury and will not take part in the Pro Bowl games, which I believe are in Orlando this year. Diggs, as we know, 107 receptions, 1,183 yards and eight touchdowns. Is 107 receptions, the third most in team history for a single season, now has four straight 100-catch seasons, making him just the fourth player in league history to do so. And this just came down from the Pro Football Writers Association. They have named DeMar Hamlin the NFL Comeback Player of the Year. So congrats to DeMar on that. Um, Pro Football Writers of America have uh, named DeMar Hamlin the NFL Comeback Player of the Year. So congrats to DeMar on that, who made a pretty uh, dramatic return to full-contact football this season. So uh, kudos to him. There were other guys, you know, in the running there that made some quality comebacks of their own uh, this offseason. Matthew Stafford came back from a major elbow injury, had a successful season this year for the Rams, and there were certainly others. Uh, Joe Flacco for example, coming right. off the couch and right. leading the Browns to the playoffs. So there were some good candidates, but it'd be pretty hard to top DeMar Hamlin. Um, nobody so came congrats back to him. He did. And nobody, that's, a, that's probably the best way to put it. Nobody came back further than he did. And he is now the second Buffalo Bill to ever win NFL Comeback Player of the Year, the other being Doug Flutie, who in 1998 came back from the CFL to the NFL and went to the Pro Bowl and helped the Bills overcome an 0-3 start to qualify for the playoffs in 1998. So uh, congrats to DeMar for uh, that prestigious award. It is, uh, you got to overcome a lot to even be in the running for that award, let alone win it. So uh, congrats to DeMar on that. And uh, he will be recognized at the NFL Honors Ceremony, uh, which takes place in February. So early next month, right before the Super Bowl, I think it's Super Bowl weekend. They usually it's usually the Friday, it's I the think. Friday of yeah, Friday yeah. before the Super yeah, the Bowl, red carpet, the whole thing. Yeah, oh yeah, and they've turned it Vegas, into a red right? carpet event. It's in Vegas, right? The Super Bowl is. So I, mean, I would assume the honors, yeah, the honors is as the same well. City, it's wherever right? the yeah. Um, other league news, and there's a lot of it. Ravens are even healthier for Sunday's AFC title game. Against the Chiefs, they have activated tight end Mark Andrews off injured reserve, so he will be playing on Sunday. So now they'll have Andrews and Isaiah likely at tight end, who's done a remarkable job filling the void left by Andrews, uh, facing that very good Chiefs defense. Meanwhile, NFC title game between the Niners and Lions. Good news for the Niners. Debo Samuel has returned to practice this week on a limited basis coming off of last week's shoulder injury, kind of a key piece for the Niners, obviously, a big play threat, especially after the catch. And then there are just two head coach openings left in the NFL, Seattle and Washington. And people are wondering, is Bill Belichick going to get one of those jobs after he lost out on the Atlanta head coaching post to Rams defensive coordinator Raheem Morris? Two jobs left. Is Bill the Belichick going to be on the sidelines or in, in the television Studio. The only Next one fall. I can see him taking on would be the Commanders. Why is that? Ah, uh, I don't know. I, I I just 
the Seahawks, and I, I just think the Commanders would, with a new ownership group, would be willing. Would be somebody who could, you know, the, take a splash. The prevailing speculation is the Commanders are waiting to hire Ben Johnson, the Lions' and offensive coordinator. That may be true as well. That I think. I well. think. I think Bill Belichick and Pete Carroll are. They've aged out. Yeah, they're the, in their seventies. I mean, of them. what. What most NFL clubs want these days is a hot shot offensive play caller. Ben Johnson fits that mold, as we know. Uh, who Seattle ultimately lands on remains to be seen. But you only have two jobs left, and the commanders, all signs are pointing to Ben Johnson to the commanders. So Let's we'll see that. if that happens. Because it, it, it's getting to the point where you wonder, like, what are they doing? They're not, you know. And, uh, and it's, it's quite simply, they're just waiting. Yeah. Before we get to the phones, a quick rundown on some of the assistant jobs, coordinator positions. Former Chargers head coach Brandon Staley is going to interview for the Dolphins defensive coordinator role. He's also considered a candidate for the Rams defensive coordinator post after Raheem Morris left to take the Falcons head coaching job. According to ESPN's Adam Schefter, the Buccaneers plan to interview former Bills offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey next week for their OC post. Dorsey also has interviewed with the Browns this past week. For their offensive coordinator position, the Bucks have also requested to interview Rams quarterbacks coach Zach Robinson for their offensive coordinator job. And Houston Texans quarterbacks coach Gerard Johnson is being interviewed for the Steelers' OC job. To me, that's an example of a rapid ascension by a young quarterback, Steve. Uh, a young quarterback can get you on the radar as an up-and-coming offensive assistant quickly. Johnson was a quality control coach for two years in Indy, an assistant quarterbacks coach in Minnesota in 2022. He's the quarterbacks coach this season for the Texans, and he's already getting OC interviews. Listen, I C.J. Stroud. That <laughs> that list you just read off is why I didn't want to get into coaching. Jumping around? Oh my gosh! Look, you see, yeah, you read, this, read the, the cities again. Yeah. Think about his family. If he, I don't even know if the guys he married, but think about that. Yeah. That's a crusher, man. That's a crusher. But they, you know, but now he's, you know, he might be an OC somewhere, which you know, say, hey, maybe worth it. Uh, I get it. But that's, that is a rapid ascension, dude. And I get it too, because you, he probably got a strong vote of a confidence from a guy like Kirk Cousins, who is, you know, you got to know who's he coached with, Kevin O'Connell, uh, Kevin O'Connell, those guys. Um, we'll see, we'll see, Indianapolis. Minnesota, yeah, these guys in Houston, and now he, he's look, getting a look in Pittsburgh. Yeah, as an OC, you know who else is out there too? Is the Cle former Cleveland offensive coordinator Alex Van Pelt, former Buffalo Bill? Yep, he interviewed um, with the Raiders for their OC job this week, or is supposed to. It might even be today. I played. I played with Alex AVP. Uh, he was behind Jim Kelly for a year or two. Uh, and he got into the game. It was the last. It was the last guy you could pick out of a lineup to look like he could play quarterback. You know, <laughs> the Pillsbury Doughboy. That's what we call him. We called him Pill. His name nickname was Pill because he looked like the Pillsbury Doughboy. Yeah, he was built like that, right? A little, little soft, a little doughy. But let me tell you something, man. Uh, nobody exuded. Not even Jim exuded confidence like Pill did when he got in there. It was all just another day at the office for him. He's well, like, he broke like, Dan Marino's records at Pitt. He was he was money. Um, Came in off the bench in a Pittsburgh, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, in a playoff game. Oh, yeah. The divisional playoff when Jim got hurt. And snapped off a nice little touchdown drive. 
uh, a drive, not just like he didn't come in and play for a couple plays. Jim went in, got shot up, so we come back out and play. And well, meanwhile, we're going down, scoring a touchdown with Alex. And I was on, I was in the huddle with him. And man, you, it was like, all right, it was not like going to miss a beat here. Yeah, it was like thanks in the yard on Thanksgiving playing against Uncle Lenny. You know, <laughs> it's just like yeah, okay, we got him. Let's do that. You know what I mean? It it was it's impressive. It was yeah. impressive, especially and, uh, for a young guy. Plus, he has been a coach. At, as soon as he was done playing, man, he want that was his path. And well, right, so he did. A, he did the radio network one year with Murph. He was yep. a color analyst in '03, and then after that, right into coaching. Yeah, he with, it was with his, Dick Durant here. It was his spot, and 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 I and he's good at it, and he's been doing it for a long time. He's got a long, long resume, and uh, yeah. So good luck to him, and I. And I not that he's get, he's not interviewing here that I know of that we know of, but that there's guys out quality guys out there. And this, yeah, the Raiders were interviewing him. Yeah, so we'll see, we'll see. Um, it's it is interesting though, this interview with Thad Lewis. Um, well, yeah, and and I don't want to dismiss his qualifications for a second, not for a second, but I do know that. In 2021, the NFL mandated that for coordinator jobs, you have to interview at least one external minority candidate. Right. So yeah. I'm just putting I'll that out I'll say this, there. though, and we've seen it in other jobs, and, I, you know, this is going down this road of, you know, how far the league has to go and get to get, you know, you know to, to deal with, the issues of race and how they're, you know, hiring practices and all of that. Let me, the, the guy, we always, we've seen it before. The guys who break that barrier are, have to be so good because you just can't, like Tony Dungy for crying out loud. Remember, he, he was in line to get a head coaching job for a decade before he finally got hired as Tampa Bay's coach. I mean, it took him forever, but when the guy got it, he got he got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on the brink of the Super Bowl and took them and the Indianapolis Colts to the Super Bowl and won it. Yeah. Uh, same thing with Lovey Smith. So we'll there. There's going to be a, a. It's awesome to see too. It's awesome to see these guys finally getting their dues and finally showing up on that side of the football. There have been great defensive co- coordinators, black guys who are defensive coordinators, and great guys that have been there for a long time. Now, like Thad Lewis played the sport. And played the position. Now he's doing it, getting a shot at it. I I, I can't say enough about it. I know and a lot of people to see. knock the Rooney Rule, and I'm sure there are ways to prove that it's not perfect, but it does help. Yeah. It gets people in front of people and that maybe they wouldn't be in front of. I'll say this, too. The league has a lot of flaws. We we all know it. I mean, because we spend our time. Yeah, but they have those that coaches symposium also. That's where right. They get... The coaches a, from every team and executives from every team in front of owners. The thing that you got to say about it, the best thing about it is, while there are a lot of flaws in the NFL with you know racism and, and the whole thing and everything else you can think of, the the rules and the play replay and all that stuff, officiating uh, the whole thing, the lack of the lack of uh, ownership representation uh, representation. All that. The thing that the league is, I have to say, that's why it's such a great league. They don't shy from it. Well, they address. They 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 they're, they're at least trying. Yeah, they're like, yeah, we stink at this. Let's, you know what? Let's put all the owners and all the 
the the coaches of guys who are hot shot coordinators. Let's put them into a room together at the Super Bowl and let them get to know each other. Well, and it's not just minorities; it's women too. So. Yeah, on this unless the, this building you and I work in. Oh yeah, you you it's unrecognized from the time when I played. Yeah, it's unrecognizable. Well, and they're better for it. Well, yeah, they're it, way better, and it's overdue. So, oh my gosh! So it's, at least it's cool this league see. tries. You know what I mean? It, it, it's not perfect, what? but it, but they're trying, and they have made a difference. They and if they are not trying, it's pointed out, and they they do make an effort. Yeah. And I'll say this too: they don't shy away from it. They don't like oh they don't they don't rationalize it. Yeah, they're like yeah you know what you're right we need to do better, and they they try. Yeah, um, they still have a long way to go, no question about it. But now finally, it's you know starting to be commonplace where you got got I mean it's just it's just it was hard to you just couldn't ignore it and thankfully the league is now starting to say listen we're not going to ignore it we're we're going to put it out there we're going to we're going to diversify both not just black and white but male and female officials coaches everybody it's just they're better now guy this building is so far is so light years so far ahead of where it was when I was playing it's not even it, it's not even comparable it's like a different sport almost and it's and it's better than it's ever been, I gotta say. It is an OBL Fan Friday mailbag. Any question you have on the Bills, the league at large, the playoffs, the upcoming draft, the combine, whatever it is, you fire it off at us. Steve and I do our best to answer your question. 803-0550 to get on board. Don't forget, hour number two, we've got Greg Cosell, senior producer from NFL Films, one last time for this season, uh, putting a wrap and a bow on Buffalo's season that was, now that it is in the rearview mirror, and we might even ask him about the conference title games this weekend. But in the meantime, we go to the phones, and leading us off today is Jay in Rochester. What do you got for us, Jay? Hey, guys. How's it going? Uh, Happy Friday. Um, So a couple quick questions. Um, I know you guys have been talking throughout the week about the upcoming draft and what the Bills need to possibly um, draft as far as, you know, getting more weapons on the offense. Um, my first question is, uh, what's going on with Justin Shorter? Um, is he expected to do possibly something next season? I know he was fighting through injury. Um, and then my second question is, um, as far as the defensive side goes, I know you know a lot of people on that side are getting older. I was thinking what your guys' uh, philosophy or thoughts were on possibly drafting uh, a rookie safety and – Maybe having, if Poyer could stay, I know Hyde may be a little bit more questionable with his recent injuries and stuff like that. So maybe uh, drafting a safety, possibly keeping Poyer on and kind of showing him the ropes, um, you know, showing him that role. And then uh, last question, third question is, uh, who do you guys got for the games this weekend? Uh, Appreciate you taking my call. Hope you guys have a great weekend. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Jay. First and foremost, with respect to Justin Shorter, he's going to be in the mix. Yeah. He's under contract. He's cheap labor, you know, as a former fifth-round draft choice, and he'll be given every opportunity through the course of, you know, off-season conditioning program, OTAs, et cetera, et cetera, to prove he deserves a spot on this roster. And the, the rubber will meet the road ultimately in training camp and the preseason for him. But I think there will be openings now. I do also expect this team to add to the receiver room in the form of high draft choices, hopefully two if I had my druthers, 
but we'll have to wait and see how the board falls before we know definitively. But I don't expect the Bills to make any major splashes at the receiver position in free agency because they just, quite frankly, do not have the money for a position that is one of the higher-paid positions in the league. I think they have to reinvest with high draft capital in that position um, to give it what it needs to get the passing attack back to the high-flying passing game we were used to seeing in previous years. Uh, and, And the caliber of players who can force teams out of the cover two shell that they saw week after week after week after week. And what happened? You play a good defense like the Chiefs, who's second in the league in points allowed, second in the league in sacks, and what's your longest play from scrimmage in that game? An 18-yard scramble by Josh Allen. That flat-out is not good enough. I, I think the Bills are well aware they have to reinvest with high draft capital to improve the receiver room at an affordable figure and make themselves better there. Safety, I I wouldn't be surprised if they draft a safety. However, I don't expect it to be with one of their first three picks. Why? Because you can get really quality safeties later in the draft. Micah Hyde was a fifth-round pick. Jordan Poyer was a sixth-round pick. Mm -hmm. You can find quality safeties later in the draft, much like you can find quality running backs later in the draft. So I I would lean in that direction if you're going to use a draft choice on a safety. Yeah, and for the end of your thing about the games this weekend i was we were sitting there getting ready for the show and i go are we going to talk about the the games this week i was like eh and brownie's like eh i don't know you want to <laughs> like we probably will with greg cosell eh, yeah we'll probably mention the game i could not be i'm light years away from the afc championship game and i'm like i'm away expecting from the a low scoring game yeah on the AFC you know what side. though my general thought is pick pick the home team it's hard to win on the road, and in this game with these teams, I'm not doubting Mahomes though. Yeah, All right. Listen, guy finds a way. I know, even I with know. less yeah, at yeah. his disposal, Absolutely. he finds a way. And here's the thing: yeah. I'm expecting a low-scoring game on the AFC side of the ledger. The reason why is because you have the number one scoring defense, who was number one in the league in sacks in the Ravens, and you have the number two scoring defense that was number two in the league in sacks in the Chiefs. Yeah, I, I don't go. think we're looking at a game in the 30s there. Call yeah, me crazy. The, the total may be 30. The over-under may well, be 30. Yeah, <laughs> I don't so, know if I'm ready to go that right, far. So, yeah, but I'm uh, thinking like low 20s, yeah, you know, like 21-17, yeah. right. 23-20, we'll something talk like about, that. We'll talk more about those games as the show goes on. But, yeah, uh, yeah we'll – I'm – whatever. You've lost interest. I'm, yeah. we got to take a break here, though. Uh, if you're holding at 803-0550, don't worry. We're getting to your phone calls in the next segment. Wide open for phones when we return. Here on a F- OBL Fan Mailbag Friday, One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, back here on One Bills Live, Chris Brown, Steve Tasker, right back to the phones here on an OBL Fan Friday mailbag, answering any and all of your questions. And we go to Andrew in Texas next. What do you got for us, Andrew? Hey, guys, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, So for the offense and defensive coordinator positions, I don't mind if we get Joe Brady. I'll be perfectly happy, to be honest with you. But I would like to see, like, what else is out there in the news, at least here, that the Bills are looking at, like, I don't know, like everyone's looking at Staley or even nobody's talking about him anymore, Eric Enemy. Anybody knows Kansas City, it's him. And when Washington bringing in a new head coach, I don't know if he's going to stay. They usually bring their own people. And then on the defensive side, why not try kicking the tires a little bit on maybe Vrabel? 
I don't know. He's, he doesn't get a head coaching job. Maybe he takes a year off, but maybe he would want to be a defensive coordinator. And then also, since living in Texas, I don't get much local Bills news. I get all this national media stuff. And I know being part of the Bills Mafia and we love to donate to charity, what are the chances we can get either you or Steve or, or Sal or Eric we, the mafia could probably donate to any charity you guys want. If you guys could get on these shows and really start poking holes in all these narratives that these guys have, because these Nick Wrights of the world, this ESPN unsportsmanlike <laughs> channel, like that channel has some of the most obscure talk about the bills and Josh Allen I've ever heard in my life. And it drives me nuts because us as fans who know stuff like about the actual team, instead of just people hearing whatever they're hearing and reporting on whatever they're reporting, they don't actually know what's going on and they just make these ridiculous yeah. claims and it's really annoying. Yeah. And Andrew, as long as you know that as a fan, I, th- I think you're fine. And they do that to stoke flames and passions in people like yourself and mission accomplished because much like you and a lot of other fans, it drives you guys crazy because you know, the inaccuracy of that. They don't care about being accurate. They care about being controversial and, in some ways, that's part of their job description. Um, and, yeah, they're only going to deal with surface-level knowledge of the team because they're making those opinions from a 1,000 miles away from Buffalo. So, in general, they don't know and don't care to know. They just have to be controversial. And, unfortunately, that fits the job description in many cases. Yeah. So, I'm sorry it bothers you. Um, yeah, you're right, though, about about uh, enemy and Vrabel. And, uh, yeah. I don't know whether those guys... I have heard from multiple, multiple ex-head coaches who have finished or, or you know, gotten fired, lost their head coaching position, who will look you in the eye, point blank, and say, I am not going back to being a coordinator ever. I'll be a, I'll be a head coach again, but I am no. not going back there. It is an absolute meat grinder to be a coordinator. And so they don't want to go back to do it because they've, you know, they've been a head guy and, and chances are they've made – you know, five-year deal for five million bucks, and it's guaranteed. So they got twenty-five million bucks coming in. I'm, they're not going back into that meat grinder. Not to mention the fact that Vrabel comes from a different school of defense than Sean McDermott, who presumably would not want to change his defensive system, having used the same one for the that, better part of the last seven years. That doesn't ha- that doesn't mean that McDermott doesn't pick up the phone and say, "Hey, what about it?" You know, or it is a factor, though. Yeah, but yeah, there's a guy like Vrabel. It's a little bit like what you would think. And all these guys would be that way, like from all the way from like Rex Ryan, all the way through Vrabel to um, you know Raheem Moster, Raheem Morris, you know uh, Staley, the guy from L.A. All these guys would have a pretty strong opinion about what they can bring to the table and how they want to do it and why they want to do it that way. And as a guy like Sean, uh, Sean McDermott, he'd have to say, "Well, fine, do it your way." Yeah, and <laughs> I have a hard time. Having a coach, seeing a head coach, any head coach doing that, let alone Sean McDermott, a defensive head coach. Right. And I think if if he decides that he just wants to handle head coaching duties and not do defensive coordinator play calling because it was too much for him, I wouldn't – I don't know this, but I would anticipate he would probably promote from within, if anything, because he's got a lot of candidates who can handle that job. Let's go to Dan in Hamburg next. What do you got, Dan? Hi, right, a couple questions, gentlemen, and thanks for having me on. If the Bills elected to take the interim uh, tag off our Joe, do they have to go through the Rodney rule? Uh, the Rooney rule? 
Yeah. yeah. By rule, for a coordinator position, they have to interview one external minority candidate, and that would actually be filled by the Thad Lewis interview that's being reported. Um, so the interim title really has no no impact on uh, the selection. Not of to a- my knowledge, no. Uh, no, I don't think it does, no. No, because you're filling the job with a new person on a permanent basis, so I think, yes, they would have to interview an external minority candidate under the Rooney Rule specifications yeah, that now, were updated in 2021. If the only way around that would be to let Joe Brady say, hey, you're going to be our offensive coordinator, but you're going to keep your interim tag, then they don't have to talk to anybody. Yeah, but I don't know how you finagle that either i don't know that there is there it seems like the patriots worked around it by never naming one yeah that's right and there so yeah that that makes me think there is no way you can put a guy in there without having to go through the interview process Mm -hmm. with outside candidates right and i would i would anticipate that that job is settled in short order um for a couple of reasons you don't want to leave Joe Brady twisting in the wind, you know, Mm -hmm. do I have this opportunity here or don't I, do I need to look for another one? Like that kind of thing. You know what I mean? So I would anticipate it gets done, you know, in the span of a week uh, at the most. I think that'll be determined pretty quickly. Let's go to Judy in Buffalo next. What do you got for us, Judy? Three things. I want to know the status of uh, Damian Harris. Because at the beginning of the season, I thought he showed a lot of promise. Secondly, aside from receivers, the Bills need to draft a quarterback, someone who who has some promise. Because it, without Allen, we'll be in dire straits. Uh, third, you know MVP. I'm, I'm so glad he he made the, the final cut, but it's it's no. It's unbelievable that this guy is not MVP with his intelligence, arm, and legs. He carried the whole team, a flawed team, all year long. That's Those are my comments. Yeah, I, I yeah. don't disagree with you, Judy, about that. Um, in terms of Josh, for the MVP finalist list, which he did make, um, very, very, very deserving. I'll say this, too, about the, the drafting a backup quarterback. I don't have a problem drafting a guy. Uh, with an upside, um, I, day three pick right. He the only way I would draft a guy is if he was big, strong, fast, had a huge arm, and had one other a flaw that made him drop out of the you know out of the running. Where where he's like, I don't know why, but that's the only guy because he'd be a lot like Josh. You could you could teach him stuff, but you're if. If you're saying you need to draft a quarterback so that the Bills will still be able to win games without Josh Allen, that's a pipe dream. Um, and that doesn't make the Bills vulnerable. It makes them just like every other football team. If you know, if the Dolphins lose Tua, if the like the Bengals lost Joe Burrow, like the Jets lost Aaron Rodgers, like uh, the Cleveland Browns lost Deshaun Watson, and they you know they had five different starting quarterbacks in Cleveland still made the playoffs. Five, not not two, five. Uh, that's an aberration. If you lose your starting quarterback, stick a fork in your season. Uh, unless you've got a guy, unless you find somebody like Joe Flacco who all of a sudden catches lightning in a bottle, and even that yeah. burned out very quickly because he's he's he had like three games left in him and he had to play five. You know, <laughs> right. So, so there you go. I, uh, but I get it. Um, it 
if he's a good football player at that position and you can find him and he's, you know, he's a sixth round draft pick or a fifth round draft pick and all of a sudden he's got a he does have a big arm, he is a big dude, he is a good athlete. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with it. Yeah. I I just don't expect to win games with him because he's never going to get a play. Hope and, and you hope he never gets to play, right? So I guess it, you know, Green Bay Packers did it. I'm not going to spend a first rounder though and get a Jordan Love and have him sit for five years or four years. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Um, as for Damian Harris, I'll tell you what Brandon Bean said about him at his press conference earlier this week. He said he just felt after Damian's neck injury in his past, along with the concussion, that it was best to shut him down for the season and not risk him to further injury and. By all accounts, he said he's close to being ready to return and be fully medically cleared for football. He thinks he'll be healthy for free agency this offseason, whether he's signed back here with the Bills or signed somewhere else. The reason that's tricky, I think, is because Ty Johnson, who was signed after finally getting healthy from a pec injury, um, I think was... Very is very, very attractive as a re-sign candidate because he, too, is a free agent after signing only a one-year deal. If I had to guess, I would expect Ty Johnson to be the priority to re-sign, even over Damian Harris. And I've got nothing against Damian Harris. I thought he played well when he was in the lineup. But mm-hmm. Ty Johnson is a more explosive athlete with every bit as good a running skills and maybe better receiving skills. I, I do not expect Latavius Murray back as a 34-year-old. So... I'm not ruling out Damian Harris. I'm just telling you I think if if the Bills had their choice, Ty Johnson would be a higher priority over Damian Harris as far as backups to James Cook, who's clearly the featured player. And let's not forget this either. Naheem Hines is under contract, and Brandon Bean was asked, will Naheem be part of the team going forward? And he said yes. So that kind of spells out the running back room in a hurry um, as far as I see it. So yeah, we'll have to wait and see. We're up against the break here, but more of your phone calls when we come back. Chris and Amherst, Ronnie and West Seneca will lead with you guys when we come back here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. All blood donors with Connect Life in January will receive an exclusive Buffalo Bills winter hat. Connect Life has blood drives located across western New York to make donating easy for everyone. Be part of our life-saving team and donate blood with Connect Life. Visit connectlifegiveblood.org to make your appointment today. Let's get back to the phones and go right to Chris in Amherst next. What do you got for us, Chris? Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, just want to say thanks for what you do. Uh, love listening to you all the time. Appreciate that. I'm a first-time caller, so I might be a little rusty here on the phone. Uh, one of my observations during the season was uh, Josh Allen was kind of lost on the bench at times where he was left by himself, especially in those down weeks where we weren't winning and where we were struggling to get through games. I, I'm kind of wondering what would be the potential for a coach, whether it's a quarterback's coach or an offensive coordinator coach like Frank Reich coming in to be sitting with him and give him lessons through a quarterback's eyes 
Um, his first three years, he made big strides, but he had a seasoned veteran quarterback next to him. This year, he had Kyle Allen, who had, what, 11 games in, under his belt in his career. So the perspective that Reich could put into Josh and kind of talk him off the ledge when needed, um, I think would be a valuable asset for him, for his growth, to get him to the next step. Um, yeah, just let me, looking for your opinions and, and yeah, I'll hang up and let I, you talk. Yeah. I think there's a couple of things at play here, Chris, that you have to consider. Number one, Frank Reich has already been a head coach in two different places. And it's not very often that coaches who have been head coaches go back down the ladder to a position coaching role. I would, I would, sometimes they go down to a coordinator's role to get back up to a head coaching role, but to go down to a position coaching role is is unusual. So I, I, I'm not saying it would rule him out, and I'm not saying he wouldn't be a good quarterback's coach. I think it would be excellent. But we just don't usually see that type of move from a guy who is coming off a year in which he was a head coach. Um, number two, Josh Allen is entering his seventh season as an NFL quarterback. He has largely seen everything he's going to see on a field from an opposing defense. And so that veteran quarterback on the roster and that kind of stuff, I I think the need for that is lessened just by virtue of all the experience that Josh has now had in his career, which will be entering its seventh season already. So uh, I think for those two reasons, I don't know that you need a super experienced guy that's done it before in the quarterback room, and I don't know that you need – a former quarterback as his quarterback's coach. All that being said, the Bills do need to add a quarterback's coach to their coaching ranks because they essentially did not have that after Joe Brady was elevated to the interim OC role. I'll say this. It it doesn't need to be a seasoned guy. It doesn't need to be, you know, a former quarterback or an old quarterback for that matter. All it needs to be somebody who knows the offense, knows the player, Josh, and Josh, and this is the most important thing, Josh got to trust him. And they have to have a relationship where the quarterback, this person that, that, uh, that Chris is talking about, has got to be able to go up there and say, Josh, what are you doing? Don't. He's, dude. Right. Dude. <laughs> that, seriously. The dude conversation. Yes. You have to have a conversation. Like, you got you to be able to you know, call him out and, and still be his bud. Um, that's what you need, and and, let me, and I'll say this for one of those guys you said, like like a like if like if Sean Payton was out there, or Frank Reich, or even you know, like Alex Van Pelt, or one of the other guys you can name, Jason Garrett, you know, or Gary Kubiak, somebody like Doug Peterson, somebody who's been a head coach. You know, Peterson's obviously um, is still working, but those kind of guys, you don't ha- Terry Pagula doesn't have enough money to get those guys to do that. They are. Beyond that, it's too that's, big of a step that's like down. asking them to be a middle school flag football coach. It's that kind of an I mean, hyperbole, of course, but that's what you're asking them to do. They just yeah. won't do it. It's just it's too big a job, too hard a job. It's too much of a grind for somebody who's who's past risen it. above it, risen above it. Yeah, they just uh, and certainly you may find one guy who would come back and say, "Yeah, I'd love to do that," or "I get it." Maybe there's a guy out there, but like I said. Those guys know what I, I think they know, what I'm telling you. You don't need the, one of those guys. That's why they're above that. You, you know, Josh's high school buddy could do it. 
if he could, you know, because that's what you're talking about, talking him off the ledge. You just need somebody you trust, right? Doesn't have to be a quarterback, like I said. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's the flaw in your theory. I get it. But that's also why we had this conversation yesterday. Coordinators are never on the field. They don't need to talk the guy off the ledge when he gets to a certain point. Josh, the seven-year vet, ain't nobody talking him off the ledge. A quarter, coordinator's up in the booth saying, hey, listen, you know, we're going to do this, 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 and this. Think about this and that, and you know, that kind of stuff. And the quarterback's coach is there, whoever it is, holding this for him, saying, listen, yeah. this is what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, it's just the – I think you got your, the, the wrong idea about what that job entails. Let's get back to the phones and to Ronnie in West Seneca. What's up, Ronnie? Hey, guys. Um, just want to say great show. Um, I have sort of a question maybe for both of you as you could elaborate on it. Um, back in the day when, Steve, you were playing, you had Teddy Marchabroda. Uh, as offensive coordinator, um, I was just curious. Like it always seemed like he always gave Jim his strengths. Like uh, prepared a game plan when you guys played to Jim's strengths. And uh, I'm just curious. Like with with what I watched this year from the Bills uh, when Dorsey was coordinator, it seemed like a lot at times. Like he didn't go to Josh's strengths, and once. Brady took over, it seemed more like he was in app to where he could pick apart defenses and seemed to imply that into what Josh liked and did best. And I'm just curious if you could elaborate on that and tell me what you guys think if if he did get an OC job, you know, permanently, if you think he could turn things around uh, and, and play more to Josh's strengths with the right weapons, obviously. Yeah, well... It, it's a it's a good observation, a good statement by you. You're right. Every offensive coordinator needs to do that. They need to know what their guy does best, mesh it with what the guy loves to do and what he likes in the offense, and then get him to do all of that stuff as good as he can do it. But then also it's part of your responsibility to have the guy go out of his comfort zone. you got to ask more of him, expand his repertoire. you got to help him do that as well so that your offense can expand and evolve. If you only do what he does best all the time, you become predictable. Certainly a guy like Josh or Mahomes or Lamar, they've got a wide range of physical abilities and they allow you to do more right out of the gate. But you've got other guys on the field that you want to put in a position to take advantage of that. So, yeah, it's a big job. Uh, it's a big job. So, And I would be surprised if Joe Brady wasn't at least attempting to do exactly what you're talking about. And I, don't, I couldn't I, – you didn't get specific and I don't know – Exactly well, he what used his legs about. more after he took over. We know that right. after it was right. readily apparent he was being told not to use his legs. So that changed. That dynamic was definitely different with Joe Brady as the OC. I still think they were hamstrung by lack of a true outside weapon and lack of a true field stretcher to stretch the field vertically to help them with underneath stuff. And that points again to, in my mind, the draft and making an early investment twice in receiver talent to help push this passing attack forward. You've squeezed everything out of Josh Allen you can squeeze with the players around him that you have. Now you need to accentuate that by adding talent on the outside. Field stretcher on one side, an alpha dog on the other that can eventually replace Stephon Diggs as the number one receiver in a year's time. That's what you need. That's what you got to add. And the only way to, aff- to do that in an affordable way is in the draft with a, a very, very, very strong 
receiver class this season. Got to take a break here when we come back. It's our final visit with Greg Cosell as we put a bow on the 2023 Bill season with him and maybe dice up some X's and O's for the conference title games when we return. You're on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, hour number two on a Friday, and joining us as he does every week, senior producer, NFL Films, Greg Cosell, joining us, also co-host of ESPN's NFL Matchup Show, and Greg Cosell's appearance on the show, presented by Scott Lawnyard, an official commercial site work partner of the Buffalo Bills. All right, Greg, we're all said and done here in Buffalo after uh, an unfortunate performance, uh, defensively anyway, against the Chiefs due in part to the fact that they were shorthanded. And we won't dwell on this game too much because we do want to talk to you about the conference title games as well. Um, The biggest surprise for me in the defensive effort, Greg, was the lack of impact from the defensive front, both in the run front and in terms of pass rush. Ed Oliver was not double teamed a lot in this game, Greg. Joe Tooney owned him. Yep. No, that was – I think your point's very, very well taken. I I think that – we, we kind of expected, and we discussed this last week, that we thought that that was a, a unit that would have to be a factor in the game. Um, now, we know that Mahomes is difficult to sack and can make plays off script, but still, they were not a factor in the game. And once they were not a factor in the game, it became really difficult. I, look, no knock against these players, but you know when you have to play Klein and Dotson, neither one is a pass defender, you know, and, and Klein was what, was he on his couch just two, three weeks yeah, ago? Yes. Um, so, you know, it just, look, that's just the reality of life. Like I said, it's no knock personally, but you know, you just get stuck and they needed to be able to make Mahomes play faster and sure. He'll always make some plays, but when a team runs 47 offensive plays and averages almost eight yards per play, and twenty and eight of those forty-seven plays gain more than twenty yards. It's that's a that's a tough formula. Yeah, and, and it it it, revol- it resulted in the Bills. Um, some of the stats coming out of this game were weird. B- the Bills rushed for over one hundred and eighty, threw for over one hundred and eighty, didn't turn the ball over, didn't take any sacks, had thirty-five yep. plus minutes of time of possession. They're the only team in the Super Bowl era to do all of those things and lose. Um, but yeah. you get, it, it happens when you play a guy like Mahomes and the Chiefs, who were, were the same way. They didn't take any sacks, right. and did they didn't turn it over either. And their run game, I thought, was one of the things that was a little bit more surprising in this game um, than anything was their ability to run on the Bills' front. And and once again, you get right back to those guys that the healthiest bunch yeah. on the team. And I would assume that that was the reason that that. And, and I'm sure this came from Sean McDermott in, in a lot of meetings before the game. But my guess is 
that would be one reason why the Bills really did not look to attack in the past game. Because my guess is they felt that they had to control the ball as much as they possibly could, um, that they, they just could not let uh, Mahomes be on the field. Uh, now, again, there, there's many ways to look at that. But clearly, when I watched the tape, and even with my guys on matchup, when they watched the tape as well, you know, we were struck by the fact that they really did not attack with the pass game at the intermediate and vertical levels at all. I mean, they took a shot here and there. I mean, obviously, he threw the fade to Sherfield. Um, that was a catchable ball. Good defense, but catchable. We know about the play to Diggs. But other than that, they did not really attack in this game at the vertical, at the intermediate to intermediate deeper levels at all. And I, I, my guess is that was all game plan. That wasn't uh, no other reason. Because just because a team plays, and you know this, Steve, just because a team plays too high safety doesn't mean you can't throw the ball. Right. And to me, it speaks to a larger issue. And I know we'll talk to you about this later in the offseason, presumably in Indianapolis at the Combine and in the weeks that yep. follow in March and April. But there is a screaming need for a field stretcher in this receiving core, yes. as well as an alpha dog that can line up outside and win and be open even when he's not open, and someone who can eventually replace Stefan Diggs as the number one receiver in this offense. I've, I've been arguing since last year that they needed to make an investment high in the draft. I, I think it's almost a necessity now going forward that they invest a high draft pick, maybe two picks in the first two days, on receivers that can help them sooner rather than later. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, again, you know that everything I say is based on tape study. Um, I don't think they truly have a number one, and they certainly don't have a field stretcher. So I think that, you know, when you have Josh Allen, you need to invest in your receiving core. You need receivers. We know Kincaid, he's going to be a good player. I think Shakir is going to be a really good number three type you know uh, he's going to be really good for what he is but i think they need they need just what you said i loved your term they need an alpha dog and they need speed uh because th this offense is hamstrung in the past game by by what they're lacking and it, it just it, it shows up almost in every game we talked about this at the end we uh, it dawned on me after the kansas city game uh, and we were in the same kind of position last year, although the season ended with the Bills kind of being dead on their feet after the DeMar Hamlin thing. They were, they were kind oh, of yeah, done for yeah. a month. But at the end of last season, when we were watching Cincinnati go to Kansas City and watching Kansas City and Cincinnati have it out, and then watching Kansas City go to the Super Bowl, and those teams having it out in those last few weeks of the season, the, it, it became painfully obvious last year at this time that you're in an arms race. And as good as the Kansas City defense has played and as good as the Baltimore defense has played, you're still in a score-first league. And yes. it, the Bills never got out of that. Although they had a really nice season, a really good season, they didn't have anybody except Diggs, who came out in the first half of the season, was killing it, and then kind of faded down the stretch. They never got to that point where they were a team teams were chasing offensively unless they were chasing Josh. I would agree with that. Um, and, I, you know, I'm glad to hear you guys say that because I think the tape tells you that. I mean, that's all you have to look at. The eye in the sky doesn't lie. The tape tells you that they need upgrades at the wide receiver position uh, in order to run a fully dimensional pass game. Yeah. And, and I agree with Brownie. I think, you know, maybe they bring someone in in free agency as well, but they need to draft players at that position and then have competition. I mean, if Stefan Diggs is still here, fine. 
but you need to upgrade that position and you need to upgrade it dimensionally. You need to have a, a vertical stretcher. Um, you need to have, you know, someone who, you know, in a sense, you need someone who can win one-on-one -on -one and that you feel that when it's third and seven, that you don't always have to scheme that you can throw him the ball. And, you know, if you don't have that guy, sometimes you can't always out scheme on every critical down. Yeah, I would agree. Um, with that in mind and the and the games this weekend, let's spin it over to the AFC title game now between the Chiefs and the Ravens. It's hard to expect or anticipate a high-scoring game here, Greg, in light of the fact that you have the number one and number two scoring defenses in football uh, yeah. going against one another, who are also, by the way, number one and two in sacks this season. Uh, are you anticipating a game in the low 20s Maybe one team even in the high teens by the time this is all over. Yeah, you know, one thing I've learned, and 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 obviously Lamar Jackson's had a terrific season, but one thing I think we've probably all learned is it's tough to kind of bet against uh, Mahomes. Um, yeah. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say they're going to put up 40. You know, I would never say that anyway. But, I mean, you know, he's just one of those guys. He's different. Um, you know, I, I remember talking to a coach who told me that you can't run – a really good pass game if your quarterback can't make progression reads at a really high level. And I think Mahomes can, but his point was, Hey, the exception to that is Mahomes that, you know, he can be great without really running the progressions. You know, he's just one of those guys. So obviously this is a phenomenal defense. Um, they're really good individually. Uh, they could give the chiefs some, some real problems. Um, we're talking on a Friday. I don't know what Joe Tooney's status is at this point, but it didn't sound good a day or two ago, so I don't know what the answer to that is. I'm sure he'll do anything possible to try and play. But there are some really difficult matchups here. Justin Matabuke on the inside yeah. has probably yeah. had as has had an as much of an overlooked season as is possible, given that he's on the Ravens and they're the you know had the number one seed. Um and I, I think Kyle Hamilton is is really a big key to what they do on defense. So that side of the ball to me is really really fascinating. Um, but it's you know it, it's hard. It's really hard for me to feel like Mahomes is going to be stymied. Now whatever that means, I don't know. You could be right, Brownie. Maybe it's 2017 game. You know, I don't know. But I, I don't think they're going to shut Patrick Mahomes down. No, I, I yeah. actually am thinking the same exact way. I think somehow, some way, Mahomes is going to get it done again. What I mean, do you think, the play yeah, we're just looking at game, right now. We'll say it again. I, if I could just say the play we were just looking at right now, that run against uh, your guys last week, to me that, that was just Mahomes being so savvy because what they did is they ran a concept to the right side of the formation, four strong, four receivers, okay? And the entire Bills defense, because they were in zone, you have to really push to four to four strong because otherwise you don't have enough bodies. And he saw that immediately. And he just knew that the whole left side of the field, there was not going to be anybody there. And he just took off and ran. I believe it was 28 yards, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, you know, he's just such a smart, savvy player. What do you think? And uh, so we've talked about this. And it's he's a hard guy to. Sh he was they were he was flawless in this last game against the Bills. And as good as Josh Allen and the Bills offense played, they couldn't make enough plays to keep him off the field and score enough points. What do you think this game this weekend is going to look like in Baltimore with the Chiefs? Uh it's a great question. Um, 
I would, you know what I think is going to happen in this game? Because now you're not worrying about people getting injured or, or a long season. I think you're going to see a lot more designed quarterback runs by Lamar. They started to do that in the second half last week. It really calmed down the Texans who blitzed at a much higher percentage than they had all season. And I think Spags does such a good job with his different looks and his pressures. And if you start with the quarterback in the design run game, you really force the defense to have to play true assignment football. And it it, it kind of shrinks your menu a little bit and forces you to, to, you know, not blitz as much. Because if you get caught and he's out the gate as a runner, I mean, he is a really difficult guy in the open field. I mean, he's there's no one like Lamar in, in that regard. So it would not surprise me if that's one thing, Steve, we see in this game is more design runs by Lamar. Right. But all that being said, Greg, we saw the Chiefs kind of take an approach that you might anticipate they would take against Lamar. They really didn't have their defensive front rush Josh. They would basically come out of their yeah. stance and just hang out. I mean, I've never yeah. seen a more a more inactive Chris Jones on a football field than I did against yeah. the Bills yeah. last week. He's just playing patty cake with the offensive linemen. They're just ha- kind of hanging out, keeping the passing lanes, you know, closed off. And then it was Drew Tranquil, I believe, a good portion of the time, especially once Willie Gay was out of the game with a neck injury. Yeah. Drew Tranquil was kind of the spy a lot, and he's a pretty effective one. He can run. I mean, he can't run like Lamar does, but I, I, get, I guess my point here is, I wouldn't be surprised if they use a lot of that against Lamar this week. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. There's one play I remember in particular. I think it was on their first possession, um, and it really stood out to me. It was third and eight in the red zone, and and obviously they they uh, it was an incompletion because they kicked a field goal on the first uh, possession where they did what they are going to do. They played their 3-2-6 dime. You know, six DBs, obviously, but three down linemen, two linebackers. Gay was the spy on Josh. And it was a three-man D-line pass rush. And you're probably referencing this play, Brownie. But Jones and Amenahu from the inside, they did not rush. Yeah. They basically stood where they were to prevent Allen from running up the middle. That was the defense. Yeah. Right. And, and those are kind of they're, – they're game plan specific, obviously. I, don't, I would doubt that the, Bill, that the Chiefs have run that defense maybe not at oh, all this yeah. year, maybe like less than a handful of snaps all season, right? Yeah. Look, there's no question that that you have to have a defense specific to Lamar movement. Now, think of it this way. The reason why teams say they want to keep quarterbacks in the pocket, whether it's Lamar, whether it's Josh, whether it's Mahomes, is not because they those quarterbacks can't win from the pocket. It's because you can play within your defensive structure that you've practiced all week. When quarterbacks leave the pocket, your defensive structure ends. I've had this conversation with coaches, and all they tell me is, hey, after we get beyond like 2.1, 2.5 seconds, if the quarterback still has the ball, it's a whole different animal now. You know, you're not playing the defense that you practiced all week. So it's not that these guys can't throw from the pocket. It's just that you are able to play within what you practice. You can't coach what happens next at all. Even right. if you see, you can right. watch. That, you can watch film for a million years, and you still don't know what's going to happen after the play's broken down. Correct. So that's why you know both. You know, they'll both teams will say maybe not publicly, but they'll say in their meetings, "Hey, keep Mahomes in the pocket, keep Lamar in the pocket." Not because they can't make throws but because we want to be able to play our way. Yeah. Right. 
Flipping it over to the NFC title game, Lions, Niners, obviously Debo Samuel's availability will be a big part of that, as we know, uh, was starting to practice yesterday. We assume he'll practice in some capacity again today, so he's trending in the right direction at the very least. Um, But what intrigues you most about this matchup? Because knowing the way the Niners play defense, I would think that you know Ben Johnson and Dan Campbell will want to keep the heat off of Goff and and try to use Montgomery and Gibbs an awful lot, especially in the early going. Yeah, although I, I will say this. One of the things that's been a little disappointing about the 49ers defense, particularly over the last part of the season, has they've not rushed the quarterback the way one would expect given you know the talent that they have on the defensive front. Now, Armstead missed a bunch of games, and he's a really important inside pass rusher. Um, but, yeah, they're going to run the ball. Um, what, what they're the best in the league at, and they do at the highest volume this year of any team was under center play action and under center play action. I personally think is far more effective than shotgun play action. And I think something like 90% of Goss play action throws this year came with him under center and they do such a good job with that. uh, And it minimizes pass rush. You know, people automatically think, Oh, it holds linebackers. Well, it does more than that especially if there's an outside zone element to the run action, it forces the defensive line's first steps to be lateral, not vertical toward the quarterback. And that makes it, that gives the quarterback just another beat, another second of time in the pocket and and allows the routes to develop further down the field. And no team throws the ball between the numbers more than the Lions. Goff is a master at that. So I'm really curious. I think, I think the secondary, I don't want to say it's an issue for the Niners, but I think at times it has been this year. Last one for me, Greg. Finalists, the MVP, Lamar, Josh, those guys are in. What do you? What are your thoughts on the MVP? What should the What should the uh, award What should the award mean? And maybe were your thoughts on who should win it this year? Ooh, I'm usually not good at this stuff, Steve, because you know, um, you know, I think. You, you can look, people always look at teams that win, you know, Lamar seems to be the one who people talk about, um, you know, you know, obviously Josh Allen, he, what he scored the most individual touchdowns by a quarterback in the league. Um, you know, they were obviously six and six and they ended up winning, um, you know, six in a row to get to the playoffs, obviously. And then they won the first playoff game. Although I don't know when the voting is done, you know, cause I don't follow that closely. I mean, there's always a number of guys that, are certainly viable options. Um, you know, it always ends up being a quarterback. I mean, you could certainly argue that Christian McCaffrey is incredibly valuable to his team, you know. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's going to be viewed right or wrongly as Lamar's year. Um, and I will say this about Lamar. He's not a numbers quarterback. Like, I don't think you can look at his passing numbers as a reflection of his value because they don't play that way. And he's a runner as well. So I don't think you can just look at his pure numbers and say, hey, you know, he doesn't have the big numbers. Because I don't think that's the, the way truly to measure the stress that he puts on defenses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Greg, thanks uh, for all the insight all season long. Uh, take a well-deserved break, and we'll catch up with you at the Combine in Indy. I've already started on, on quarterback. For, for the draft, <laughs> you know. But you probably figured, you guys probably figured that. Oh yeah, I would have put money on oh, it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. If you're gonna talk, if <laughs> you're gonna talk to, to us, guys in Indy. yeah. If, if you're gonna talk to us, uh, make sure you do. You brush up on your wide receiver talk too. Oh, there's a ton of them this year. Yeah, I know. Yeah. That's that's why we got to get a couple. Hopefully, like uh, thanks, Greg. Yeah, as thanks, always, Greg. we'll catch up with you out in Indy. 
All right, guys. Thanks so much. All right. That's Greg Cosell joining us as he does every Friday during the Bills season. And uh, he'll get a little mini break here, but don't worry. We'll have him back uh, on in Combine Week when we're out there in Indianapolis and obviously leading up to the draft in March and April to kind of give us the 4-1-1 on some of the top prospects and what he sees on film from those players. Does an excellent job with his film study. So we'll be looking forward to that expertise. Going to take a break here. When we come back, more of your phone calls on this OBL Fan Friday mailbag. Any question you got on the Bills, the playoffs, the league at large, the draft, the combine, whatever it is, you hit us up and we'll answer them for you. Or if you don't have time to call, give us a shout on the tweet sheet and we'll get your questions answered there as well. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, back here we are on One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker. We got a false start from our, from our fine people in the control room. They're trying to pull a fast one on me. I got to tell you. So there it is. Uh, we wanted to update you. There is a coaching update uh, concerned with open coordinator positions in the NFL. The Packers have now requested to permission to interview Bills linebackers coach Bobby Babich for their open defensive coordinator position. Babich, as we know, recently interviewed with the Giants for the same defensive coordinator role. It's an open one there with the Giants as well. Now he will meet with Green Bay. So, Bobby Babbage, you did great things um, with Terrell Bernard this yeah. year as a first-year starter uh, and also helped Tyrell Dotson improve over the course of the season is getting some looks around the league for a promotion. Yeah. We, sh- we should have at this time – we need a sound effect for all these things that are breaking, like trade. I think we do have an alert button. <laughs> Yeah, we need an alert button for the we do have know, one an air those. horn or something for the coaching moves and stuff, particularly when it involves coach uh, Bill's assistant coaches. Yeah, you know, because there's still a lot of coordinator positions open. We still have two open head coaching jobs. They'll have positions They'll, to yeah, fill they're as well. Fill all those spots. Yeah, um, yeah, that's yeah. We got a sound effect. Come on, we're a radio station. We we can do it. We we've got mm-hmm. it. It's in the budget. Mm-hmm. I know that. So I think we'll be okay. Uh, 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550, the number to get on board on this OBL Fan Friday mailbag. Any question you have about the Bills, the playoffs, the league at large, the combine, the draft, whatever uh, thing you have on your mind, feel free to fire it off at us, and Steve and I will do our best to answer it for you. Uh, we go back to the phones, and we go to Jim in Florida. What do you got for us, Jim? Oh, hi, Chris. I just wanted to say that I completely agree with you uh, in a past show, when you said that we, um, in the second, especially in the second half, ran on first down and passed on second down, there's no question that Casey knew we were going to do that. It, we were so predictable, and so they they stopped our run, and then we had to pass on second down, and they stopped our pass. Yeah, uh, I I think it was a, I I completely agree with you because I think we've done that in the past too, and I think trying to trying to run the ball, people say we got to run the ball. Well, I don't think we always have to run the ball on first down, though. I think that's a serious yeah. mistake that we make. And that's just, I just wanted to say that. Yeah, Thank no, I, I, it's a valid point to reiterate, Jim. And I get it, and I agree with it, because I was saying something similar on yesterday's show to your point. Um, I, I even said it during the radio broadcast while the game was going on, because it was very clear that the Chiefs had gotten a bead on what the Bills were doing in the first half. And in the second half, the Bills were still trying to run the ball on first down a lot. And then even if in those instances where they got to second and medium to second and short, 
they ran a majority of the time, too. I think it was 10 out of the 13 second and shorts that they had. Anywhere from second and two to second and four, they ran the ball again. And I understand you're trying to run clock, hold on, win time of possession because your defense is shorthanded and can't stop them. Totally understand that. But it's more important to stay on schedule so you can hold on to the ball than it is to run time off the clock with a running play per se. And when it was clear that the Chiefs knew what was coming and they were run blitzing you to neutralize that, you had to turn to something else. The problem with that was exactly what we were talking to Greg Cosell about in the last segment, which was the Bills' passing game had limitations. They didn't have a true field stretcher. They didn't have a reliable outside receiver opposite Diggs whose production had tailed off in the second half of the season, and it limited the Bills to using the middle of the field with Kincaid and Shakir, which fortunately kept the passing game afloat, but I think it was still limited nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not going to get, yes, we we can discuss that at at length, and and whenever, it's just a, it's a crazy phenomenon to me that, um, you know, you can dissect any play, any game you want, and pull it apart and criticize it up and down. Uh, it's just that the only time your criticism holds water is when you lose, and when when it's ridiculous is when you win. Doesn't mean either one of them is wrong. Um, I'm, if you, so I'm, yeah, I'm, I've said it before on the show. I'm reticent to criticize play selection because of just what I said. If it doesn't work, you should have done the other thing. If it does work, nobody has a leg to stand on, even if it was a stupid play call. If it works, you you can't be criticized, which is, yeah. So I'm, yeah, I, I get it. And, and uh, it the only problem I have, whether you run it or you pass it on second and short or second and long, what, first and ten, is when you become predictable doing it. Ten out of 13 sounds predictable to me. Well, and and here's the other thing, too. And I said this earlier in the week as well concerning Joe Brady as the offensive coordinator. When you take over an offense with a system that's already been installed and repeated for half the season, there is only so much you can do to tweak it and alter it. And by no means can you put your stamp on it yourself as a play caller. you got to work with what is there. It's almost like taking over a restaurant that already has an established menu. You can move some things around. You can tweak the ingredients and some of the dishes, but you can't make wholesale changes on the fly. Um, That's for the offseason. And so Joe Brady, for all intents and purposes, was triaging the offense for the rest of the season. And I think in many ways he did make it a more effective attack on the whole. I think that the key here is, How much of a pass do you give him, knowing he was somewhat handcuffed, having to work with what was already laid out for this offense and this personnel? And then, number two, going forward, what kind of coordinator does he want to be if he is retained as the permanent guy? And I think that's what he and Sean McDermott undoubtedly discussed in the interview session that they've had for this job on a permanent basis. How are you going to put your stamp on this offense in your estimation? What needs to be added to it for that to come to fruition? And then it's up to Sean McDermott to decide if that is a course he can take and believe in 
going forward into 2024. The other thing that you were talking about, about you know what you were hamstrung with and what your limitations were, uh, what you were able to do that you couldn't do, uh, what were you able to do, what couldn't you do, uh, that those are all conversations that were probably had during season and when he took the job over anyway. And when, when Dorsey was released and Joe got the job, Joe Brady got the job, they had multitude, of, I would expect, that they had a multitude of conversations about where the offense was, where they wanted it to go, and how Joe was going to do it. All that stuff happened already. Now it's about it's about next year. It's about what are you going to do now? What's next? What could we not do that we need to do, and what's it going to take to get there? Um, that's part of probably what this interview process was for Joe Brady. That's probably what Thad Lewis is talking to Sean McDermott about uh, what he sees in this offense, personnel, all of that stuff. What they saw as a as a what they saw people watching the Buffalo Bills as opponents thought about the Bills offense. All of that stuff is in the mix. And you know, when you get to be the heart offensive coordinator of a club, yes, you you get a you know you get to create plays, you get to call plays, you get to depend on Josh, you get to use Josh Allen to his fullest. You get to move guys around. You get to try different things. You can do all of that. But you also, you know, you, you got to have sometimes when you turn around and say, listen, they know we're going to run it. We're going to run it and we're going to be successful. Uh, here we go. Um, when you got to line up and run it when they know you're going to run it. Yeah. So there's some, there's some of that too. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how this offensive corner thing, coordinator thing shakes out. Um, yeah, I, I don't know that it's just all cut and dried that Joe Brady's automatically going to be given the job. Be interesting to see yeah. how it plays out and if there are other candidates I mean, I'm not besides just Thad Lewis. I'm not saying I don't want him to. I'm just saying I, I don't have, yeah. we, don't have a, we don't get a well, vote. No, it's going to be so, interesting to see how it yeah. plays out. Will there be other candidates? If so, how many? And how quickly do, do they reach a decision? Who, who, who has not been – like the guys we've excluded, these old head coaches, you know, these guys that don't want to be – who doesn't want this job? Right. To work with right? Josh Allen, right? I mean this this That's team some is job security. This there. team, I don't care if I don't care if you know, I don't care what happens. Whoever lines up a wide there because Brandon Bean's going to do his job. They're going to have some guy. They're going to you know they're going to get this thing together. When they line up on opening day in 2024, they're going to be one of a handful or less teams that people are going to say that they got a chance. Yeah. Let's uh, crack open the OBL Friday fan mailbag tweet sheet which, as always, is brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills. And Rick leads us off and says, have a question about last Sunday's game. If the game plan going in was to run the ball to control the clock, thus keeping Patrick Mahomes off the field, wouldn't it have made more sense to have Leonard Fournette, who was released on the field, rather than Latavius Murray? Well, I mean, just so you know, Latavius Murray didn't have, I don't think he had a carry in the game. I'll go back and look, but I don't even remember him Having a carry. I know James Cook had 18 carries. He had the bulk of it to begin with. But I'm going to go back right now and look at the game book and double check. Yeah, Latavius Murray did not have a carry in the entire game. So, I mean, I think the point is moot. If it was Leonard Fournette, maybe does he have a couple? Maybe. But it was clear to me that they felt the run game was going to go through James Cook and Ty Johnson who had 25 carries between them, 18 for Cook, 7 for Johnson. That was the run game. And Josh, obviously, right. who had 12 carries. So uh, 
Latavius Murray or Leonard Fournette, I think it's a moot point because the answer was neither. That's neither right. of them were nearly as explosive as Cook or, or as in- Johnson, and I think that's why I believe, as I said earlier in the show, Ty Johnson is priority number one for depth in the offensive backfield among the free agents on Buffalo's roster. Yeah, and I and I get the infatuation with Leonard Fournette. I, you, Brownie, and I were kind of into it as well. I'd like to see the guy play, but you know the, he was here for a couple of months and had struggled to get on the field. Now, certainly, you can say, well, the the coaching staff might have been loyal to the guys that were actually there on the roster for the whole maybe, but by the same token, their responsibility is to get the best guys on the field. If they thought Leonard Fournette was a better option, <laughs> he's not. Not nah, he's on the field. He's not being held out because some other guy might get his feelings hurt. That's not the way it works. No. Um, so there was there's some tangible reasons why they did not feel comfortable with Leonard Fournette carrying the ball in the game. I mean, he got on the field once or twice this year, uh, but and as as infatuated as Bills Mafia was with the signing, as was I. I don't have any problem saying, listen, if, if they didn't want to play him, there's good, solid reasons for it. I, I'm not saying the guy can't play or doesn't have anything left in the tank. Maybe they bring him back for training camp, and maybe he, he sprouts next year and has a better year. But there are solid reasons why he didn't get on the field here. And it's not just because of well, whatever. They didn't want to. Uh, it was because certain things didn't happen. Yeah. Jay Pello in the mailbag asks, I know this sounds insane, saying he's been our adversary forever. However, would Bean and McDermott ever consider hiring Bill Belichick as defensive coordinator for one to two years to help the Bills, quote, get over the hump, or do you think Ron Rivera will get a chance to interview for D.C.? No and no for the reasons we stated earlier. Both of these men have been head coaches in multiple places at this league's level and have achieved the highest levels of success that you could Rivera went to Super Bowl as a head coach. Belichick's won six, been to nine. No, they're not coming anywhere as a defensive coordinator. They're not going to coach happen. anywhere as a defensive coordinator. I, I don't know, Ron Rivera. No, no, and no. Yeah, no, no, no. They're not going to do it. I, I'd be shocked if either one of them does anything except be a head coach this year someplace. Uh, they're, they're not going to do that. So that's, it's off the table. Yeah. Suzanne asks, I understand the basics of the player's salary cap. Is there a similar limit to the salaries for the head coaches? Who determines how much they're paid? Does the owner take that on, or is that a franchise expense too? It's a franchise expense, but there's no cap. It's, it's a supply and demand type thing. If an owner wants a guy badly enough, he'll pay whatever he needs to pay to get the guy to sign on the dotted line. So that mm-hmm. is a free market society there. Yeah. Now, the agents for the coaching prospects obviously keep tabs on how much coaches are getting paid around the league to make sure their guy gets fair market value but there is no limit somebody wants to pay somebody 20 million dollars a year to coach their football team they can do it and it's not on the cap and it is not on the cap in any way shape or form it's an expense none of the none of the coordinators are either or the assistant coaches or the staff and only the players go on the salary cap Got to take a break here. When we come back, Steve and I will wrap it up with a couple of final questions from the OBL Friday mailbag when we return here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. All right, some final questions from the mailbag here. 
Uh, Christine asks, how hard is it to train a player to be a decent punt slash kickoff returner? Seems it's been a long time since we've had a good one, except for the very rare situation of the other team completely messing up. Part of that's, I would say, because of the rules, Steve. Kickers are now kicking off from the 35, not the 30. Balls are going into the end zone for touchbacks far more often, so you have fewer returns across the league. That's number one. Um, Mm -hmm. And then you have other rules, like lining up without taking a running start, uh, defend, you know, return team doing the same thing. Punters are better, forcing fair catches, kicking it higher, deeper, etc. Punters are better. Kickoffs are harder to 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 be good at. Um, you get the ball at the twenty-five if you don't return it, which is a good return. It's an incentive. It's an incentive not to return it. Uh, and it's I've said this before as well, and it's the truth. It's, it was true when I played. It was true when guys that 30 years before me played, and it's true. it'll be true in the future. The best teams in the league at returning kickoffs are the ones who do it live the most. The, guy, the, guy, the guys, teams who get scored on a bunch. Um, it's, you, can't, it's, you can't practice that play ever. I've never, I'd never even once practiced a live kickoff kickoff return in my life never never did once the only time you get a rep is when the game comes on and you go live and so the guys that do it the best are the ones who practice it the most by doing it in the game so the answer christine is even if you're good at it it's harder than ever to be successful at it based on the rules and how kickers have gotten better it's hard to be consistently good yes julian asks i have a question for you guys about to ask Bills Mafia, which day bothers you more, the Monday after losing in the playoffs again, or is it on Sunday and realizing our Bills don't have a game? I get it's pretty much the same question, but for me, I don't think I'll watch any of the games. Mondays are harder. I think Mondays are harder after Mondays the loss. Mondays are harder, yeah. Mondays are right? the harder after the loss, yeah. Oh, this week, it, you know what? Brownie and I, you can think about it, we get a weekend off for the first time in a while. Um, yeah. And, you know, you can sit down, you, you know, I'm not doing, po- you know, all that stuff. He's not doing a game. I uh, I can't go against Mahomes. I don't know what it is. I think somehow, some way, he's going to pull it out. What about you? I'll take the home team. Taking the home team. Okay. I hope you're right. We'll see you on Monday. Got a three-hour show at noon.